Leaders are expected to deal with various amounts of pressure at any given moment, and what matters most is how you handle it in that moment. On this week's episode, I welcome a leader I've seen successfully deal with pressure from small to large and everything in between. Colonel Trish Chank is the Wing Commander of 673rd Air Base Wing, Joint Base Elmendorf-Richardson, Alaska. We talk about our origin story, how she works hard to avoid burnout so she can stay focused on leading a massive team, the power of the diversity of thought, and how true leaders don't have to be right, they just have to get it right. Let's go! This is Constant Elevation, the show for rising Air Force and community leaders who seek to define the future. Learn powerful work and life tactics to tackle any challenge. I'm your host, Gabriel Gabrock Avila. Let's go. Welcome back, everybody. Gabe Rock back on the mic once again, still recording with leaders and still trying to define the future. And I have on this week's episode a, a fellow teammate, a fellow Arctic warrior. This is actually something that uh, I've been looking forward to for the past, I want to say, at least three weeks, but because uh, world events and the level of responsibility that she has just kind of it gets OBE and clearly um, and it's, it's this is not a knock and I understand that like other things takes precedence but finally I have her on my show I want to welcome Colonel Trish Chank to the Constant Elevation podcast thank you man for being on the show no thanks for having me yeah, so Colonel Chank is the uh, the wing commander for the 673rd Air Base Wing, a J Bear Alaska, and I had the the honor and privilege to work with her for my my last year of of uh, Squadron Command, and uh, we had some. I'll say even through that year, we had some interesting times. We had some interesting times of working through earthquakes, working through towards the end of my command tour, uh, working through huge wildfires in Alaska. And right now we are in separate spaces, yet we are dealing with the same uh, kind of uh, challenges of working through this COVID-19 pandemic. And I can't imagine exactly, you know, you're, I know you've been, we talked about this right before the show started, but I know you're very mission focused, but a lot of your job is people focused. And I can't imagine uh, how you're dealing with all the responsibility that comes with being a wing commander of that big of a patch. Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm taking a pause here, just trying to think about everything that's happened over the last two years and more specifically over the last, uh, really two months, I guess. Um, I don't, I mean, it's been busy. It actually feels like one very long drug out day. I <laughs> <laughs> actually before even before all of the those uh, not like I want to say non-mission related things those are just almost natural disasters things we had to do. We also kind of started off our story with uh, um you know the Korea stuff happening too. I mean that was a thing of like being the the having to be part within uh, Pacific Air Forces is being the uh, strategic, you know, you want to call it power projection platform. I know that was a alliteration and a lot of uh, uh things that are uh, we are uniquely qualified for in Alaska. I mean, like, there's just a lot of challenges. And I, I was, I was not, I didn't expect those kind of things to happen when I was, when I was squadron command, but like, we had to deal with these as a team. And it was not only with our wing, but like, we're, we're a host unit. And being a host unit offers its entire, its entirely different problem set and responsibility that you have uh, that, uh, in a joint base environment. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, we've got to, 
I don't know, I think at last count by the numbers, it's like 34,000 people on the base, um, 58 mission partners. I think the base is, um, depending on encroachment day to day, somewhere between 73 and 80,000 acres big. Um, yeah, the base is big, huge. The base is bigger. The base is bigger than all of the PACAF patches combined. I remember that. I was like, dang, yeah. that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, when you squeeze it all in there and, um, and you know, thank goodness a good portion of it's just not in use. We just turn it out to the wild, to the bears and the moose. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, it, it gets to be very busy and really, you know, if you got 34,000 people on the installation, that effectively means that you potentially have 34,000 bosses. Um, and then day to day, more accurately, you know, we call them mission partners, but you know, when you're the service provider, when you operate their weapon system, their base, their city, um, all 58 of those mission partners aren't just stakeholders. Those are your day-to-day -day bosses. Um, so the probably the most difficult thing is just trying to keep those folks on the same team, um, kind of shepherding them along and making them realize that this is a team, all 58 of us, um, and then just balancing some of the uh, priorities and making sure that people are bought into that and and that there's no anarchy or any revolts that are going to be cooking up is that the number 58 for reals 58 mission partners Shh, yep nope we got to uh, i mean it's not nope but it's a thing so like we and <laughs> my job for the uh, dod information network we have 44 mission partners that's too many I, I don't know. 58 sounds ridiculous. So, but yeah. it's, just, <laughs> it's a, it's a challenge. I'll just say that. So uh, I'll, I want to talk about like, before we get into some other conversations, uh, I, I distinctly, I like covering origin stories for all of my guests I have on the show. So my origin story with you is, uh, you know, I attended your, uh, your change command uh, ceremony, like a good squad commander, obviously I should. And speaking of mission partners. So we were, you know, the ceremony is happening. And then one of our mission partners, uh, third wing, I don't know what's going on the flying schedule, but like there are some jets flying and you were trying to deliver your speech and like you got paused. I think uh, um, the 11th Air Force commander got paused and I'm in the audience. I'm, I'm rolling because I think it's hilarious. And I'm like, oh, this is not good. And it, it kind of uh, it, it added some weird kind of pauses to the ceremony. But it's a wing command. It's a wing command chairs, a wing wing of command chairs, change of command ceremony. So then I took a shot and I was like, "Hey, uh, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna do this." And I talked to Josh. More likely, it was Josh. I was like, "Dude, check this out." Josh Hawkins, by the way. And so I was like, "Hey, uh, I'm gonna show this meme to the wing command." He's like, "You're not gonna do this." I'm like, "No, I am." It's it's a picture of just a skeleton just waiting. Be like, "Oh, me trying to deliver my change command ceremony." So I made the meme and then I'm in the congratulatory line as far as everybody wanted to shake your hand, say congratulations. And I knew that you're not going to remember me because there's like seven, 673 million people in this line. And so I remember showing it to you. I was like, Hey, congratulations, ma'am. I'm going to be the, uh, your, your comm squad commander, but I want to show you this. And you're like, what? I was like, yeah, check this out. And I showed it to you and you, you laughed. I distinctly remember you laughing. You're like, that is funny and accurate. I don't know what was going on with my third wing brothers because I don't know why they chose to fly during my change command ceremony, but I'm going to have to talk to Bobby about that. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, right. I, so I guess if you think back on it, you know, and thanks for that story, I um, just about forgot about it, but uh, yeah, so uh, 
crisis management's on a very smaller scale, a little offbeat, but you know, when you're under pressure, what matters is how you handle it. And I remember being in that moment where, you know, I could hear the jet blast and I'm thinking right about now is when they should be powering up and getting a little louder. So I ought to just pause and let that pass. And then it just seemed to be idling. And then I'm thinking, what is actually going on out there? <laughs> For real. You know? And then I thought, well, you know, I, uh, <laughs> I'm on a stage in front of I don't know how many people were in that hangar, hundreds of people. 673 well, what, people were there. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, I guess what matters is just being graceful under pressure. And you know what? They're on my time, and the ceremony is going to go as fast as I set the pace. So I'm going to be comfortable with it. It was good. And then at some point, yeah, and then at some point, you just talk over it and say, all right, I'm done waiting. Yes, <laughs> it, it was that the composure of a leader is always an important thing during you want to, that was not a crisis, but like the composure of a leader in any sort of situation. And so that was a, small... yeah, it wasn't a crisis for you because you weren't on center stage with like, you know, 1200 <laughs> eyeballs looking at you. Nope. I was in the audience just making memes the entire time. Cause it was hilarious. Yep. So, which is my normal, but like, I remember seeing it and then I remember making the meme and I, I don't know what, what drove me to do it. I'm like, I'm going to share it with her. Why? I'm like, I guess it's freaking funny. I have no idea. And is that the right first impression you want to make? I'm like, I don't know. It's just funny because it's fine. And I don't, I'm not going to worry about that. And so uh, me sharing with you, I'm not, it, there was a part, there's a couple seconds I'm in line. I'm like, am I going to do this? Am I going to do this? Let's go. And so I showed it to you, you, you laughed at it. And, uh, you know, it was really a couple, uh, 6.73 seconds moved. And then you had to go to the next person. But I was like, no, I'm good. I'm actually fine that I actually share that story with her because I hope that I offer it a little bit of, and this is potentially a story of how uh, our, our our work history. If I can offer some humor and at least like just offer a pause of like, ah, maybe, maybe quantity over quality, but at least you got to laugh. And then it's like, no, that's actually not that big a deal. And they actually, the team moves all together. And so um, I, I was very happy to be part of that. And uh, um, I think that was a, a funny, in my opinion, a funny origin story that I shared with you. Yeah, no, I mean, what you really gave me was a chance for me to laugh at myself. And that was pretty cool. Yeah, and you, sh you, you showed it to Tibor too. You're like, look at this. I was like, yeah, I got this. Show it to the husband too. So I'm not mad about that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so, uh -huh. so like, keeping sanity through crisis events. So we talked about earlier, as far as, you know, you and I, we've worked, uh, you know, I follow your lead as far as lead, working through the, what was it? Like, what was the earthquake? Do you know it? Magnitude. Oh, uh, 7.1. Bam, sick of that. My kids, that's a very, very formative event for my kids. We actually talk about the Alaska earthquake a lot. But uh, um, the living through the earthquake, living through the wildfires in the summer when I was PCSing out, and then now with the uh, the COVID nineteen stuff going on, I'm curious to know how do you how do you maintain your sanity through it all? Because you you got to get the work done. So it, that 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 goes without being said. But like when you need to when you head home and you, you see the fam, you take a break. And if you're whatever you're doing, just take a breath. How do you maintain your sanity throughout this entire the almost? It seems like constant crisis kind of uh, management one after one after one how, how do you how do you manage that um sometimes not well yeah i won't lie to you um there are some days where i go home and i can't help but bring it to the dining room table you know we're having dinner and we're talking about the crisis du jour at the table and i've got my team of three at that point myself my husband and my 
my little son and just stepping through it. Other times, though, I feel like I've got my stuff together and I can leave it at the door and I can come into the house and I can be mom. And, you know, I can be Tibor's wife. I can just be Trish. I can sit on the couch with a bag of chips and watch Netflix. I can watch Wayward Pines and The Witcher, uh, just episodes on end. And there's something, I don't know, there's something very satisfying about taking that time that feels a little selfish in a time of crisis. And even if it's just for an hour or two and just squirreling it away and just being yourself in that 60 minutes, in that 120 minutes, whatever it is, and just being okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's um, the, the yeah. idea of uh, um, taking the pause. I really like the fact that, uh, you know, you, um, I tell my people a lot. I'm like, hey, so around six o'clock, don't call me. And they're like, why? Like, because I have family dinner and I'm not going to answer your phone unless your, your name happens to rhyme with general somebody or other. And so the idea that you still make sure you carve out time for your family time is very important. Sometimes those, uh, like anything else, like battle rhythm events may or may not have your complete focus because your mind is on something else. But the idea that you're at least trying, at least trying to have your consistent family battle rhythm to be like, no, I got to go home and, and touch base with my, uh, with my family, with Tibor and Aiden, because that ends up recharging me and I need to have that balance of my family and my professional life. Those kind of things are very, very important to me. And I, I, I say the same thing and I'm like, my, uh, a lot of, t- a lot of times, maybe good or bad, my, my work colleagues know about Gina, Lana and Benjamin, because I talk about them a lot and it's important to be like, no, I have two teenagers and I'm dealing with homeschool in the middle of a time where they don't want to do homeschool and I have to, uh, but I'm trying to do telework and the, the same struggles that everybody's doing it's important for people to understand that like, no, we're, we're still humans. We have our, our certain where I know we're, we're airmen 24 seven, but at a certain point in time we go home and the uniform gets hung up just for a pause. I'm not saying it's all the way away, but like, it's a, it's a thing of, we have these other hats that we wear that need and, and deserve our attention in order to rebalance ourselves because, um, you know, uh, they always tell us during, you know, certain officer, reti- any officer enlisted things are like, you know, so your the uniform is going to be hung up at a certain point, but your family, your relationships are going to be there when you decide to hang it up and how you take care of those relationships is very, very important. So I'm really happy to hear that. Uh, um, it's, it's not easy, but there's definitely some stuff through crisis that you have to maintain that balance. Yeah, you know, and I think that Right. So your family, that's who you are. That's, uh, I mean, they'll keep you straight. They'll keep you close to um, who you you truly mean to be. Um, yeah, Tibor is great. They, he, uh, they don't, I'll they tell don't you know you're he, they're uh, a wing commander. They, they just see you as mom or your wife. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Aiden doesn't care. Aiden doesn't care. You know, I don't care if you're the king of this whole city, mommy. I'm like, yes, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So now there's a stop movement on base. How do you like me now? Can't leave the house. <laughs> Everybody's grounded around here. Uh, that's so funny. Calling it grounded too. I think uh, we were joking around about Maryland. It's like the governor of Maryland says you're all grounded and stay in your damn house. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but I think that uh, you do need that time. And, you know, my sister is great too. She's my younger sister, four and a half years younger. And she is, she's a wild woman, that one. Um, 
she was in the Air Force for a brief stint and thank goodness she moved on, did us all a favor, did herself a favor. <laughs> um, but uh, every now and again, I'll call her, even when I'm in the office, I'll shut the door, I'll call her and just pick a fight with her or something, you know, just to get back to who you are, keep it real a little bit That's and then, awesome. you know, open the door after about 10, 15 minutes and then just get back into the ring and get back to being the wing commander, get back to being whoever it is that you need to be for whatever it is that's going on. So uh, kind of along those same lines, one of my, I wrote it down and I, I actually say it often and I incorporated into my, uh, my leadership philosophy, uh, not verbatim, but it's definitely in there as far as like something that I, I think it goes underneath the, the element of character. And so I remember you, we were doing some kind of, probably one of those, uh, um, your your monthly Wing Commander uh, breakfast and lunches with me. It might have been in, in the hospital where I had the awesome little like you know, VIP area where Stella set up with us. One of the quotes that you said was, uh, you don't have to be right, you just have to get it right. And then when I heard you say that, I was like, oh my, holy, that like blew my mind. I'm like, when a, when a leader says that and understands that, you're going to give us a maneuver space to make mistakes, give us maneuver space to be like, kind of figure out it is what we need to be doing. Maybe give us some time to kind of, uh, you know, uh, soundboard things with our friends or family, whatever it is. That's the kind of leader I want to follow. And uh, um, so I just wanted to kind of explore where did, what was the origin of, of that quote? Uh, you don't have to be right. You just have to get it right. Do you know what it is, is, um, Another thing that I'm fond of saying, because I really truly mean it, is sometimes I need you all to change my mind. Um, and I'm not kidding, probably at the end of every week, I, I sit back and I think about how many times did I allow someone to change my mind this week? Um, and it just occurred to me that over the last 20 some years of my career, we all remember being a lieutenant. You remember when you were young, totally smarter than everybody else, totally invincible and fearless. You had all the right answers the first time because you had um, all the knowledge that you needed. Yeah, you know, (laughs) Um, I I remember being that gal as a lieutenant, as a captain, as a major. And there were some times where I was that gal as a lieutenant colonel and squadron commander too. And sometimes, you know, when you think that you're, all-knowing and just invincible, sometimes you double down on a bad decision. Sometimes you double down on um, a mistake. And I think that earlier on in my career, um, a lot of who I was personally was invested into the job. And so the idea that I could make a mistake or be wrong about something was personal. Um, And so in order for me to be able to, I guess, have the courage to lead and to go on day after day, I had the sense in my mind early on that I had to be right. I had to get it right the first time and by myself. And if anybody challenged me on it, then um, I can't be seen as vacillating or not being able to make up my mind because then I look like I'm not stable. So you double down on something that's just crazy sometimes. And you know in your gut, when you made a mistake and that's not the decision you ought to be going with. And there are times where I still told myself, yeah, but how I look, you know, my ego, I just can't, I can't step back from that. And so it just occurred to me that um, 
in the later years of my career, probably more specifically in the last five years or so, that there's actually more freedom um, and more grace with recognizing that you don't have all the right answers, um, that you did make a mistake, that, wow, this is a just-in-time save from someone on the team because they just brought in new information, better perspective, or they just corrected the context that you viewed something in. And that's a gift when you get somebody on your team who has the courage to tell you, you don't have it quite right, ma'am. We need you to stop and think about this. Had you considered something else? That is an opportunity for you to get it right. That is loyalty. That's a team that comes together with trust and that works well together. And I think that, you know, as a leader, once you have that moral courage to be able to accept that you are not infallible, that, and it is okay to, to change your mind on something with new information or just you feel differently about it uh, than when you looked at it a week or two earlier, there's, there's a great sense of satisfaction in knowing that you made the right decision for the right reasons and that something is going to be better because of that, because you're able to set aside your own vanity and ego and get to what's right. Oh, that's, that's awesome. There's the, the, the uh, story I recall, there's two of them, but I'll, I'll talk about one. It was a, we were doing, um, oh, I'm actually forgetting the name of it. The, the exercise we had to do uh, where it was like degraded and contested environment in Mad Bull. What was that one? Why am I forgetting the polar name? force? Polar force. Jesus, I'm terrible. I'm sorry. I forgot. Exactly. <laughs> we were doing polar force, and then the idea of degraded, contested environment. And like when people hear those two words, you essentially, you know, it, it's a thing of um, a a a lot of it comes to chemical warfare or potentially kinetic warfare. Like, no, that's what degraded, contested environment. So we're doing all the planning and stuff, and then I come up with my idea. And I'm like, hey, ma'am, so you know, there's different definitions of those two words, right? And you're like, what do you mean? And I was like, I'm just saying, like, imagine degrading contested environment if a computer system went down to where certain things you started losing confidence in them. And you're like, what? And I kind of further explained what I was talking about. And you're like, I never thought about that. I never thought about that domain being contested and degraded. And I was like, yeah, so here's this thing I already did. I already talked with third wing. I want to shut down this entire building. I talked with Z. I want to shut down one of the, uh, the, I want to test certain things about people coming into the gate and whether or not I can trust the systems. And I worked out this plan. Are you cool with me doing that? And you're like, yeah, that actually sounds, I didn't even think about that. And that is definitely, and I was off to, after you said yes, I was off to the streets running. I was like, dude, check this out. The winger manager said we could totally do the, the plan that we wanted to do. And a lot of it, we, we, I took it down to my, my cyber defense flight and they were excited. Like, wait, the wing commander said it was okay. I'm like, yeah, seriously. She's, she's, she's on board. She understands exactly the, the things that we're trying to expand of just not the, the tried and true. And it, it, there's clearly the kinetic and chemical things are there, but like, there's a different kind of fight that our squadron was responsible for. And you gave us the freedom of maneuver in order to get it right. You know, it was a thing of, and almost gave us a pass. I'm like, yeah, so comm squadrons are not doing the traditional stuff at Mad Bull because they're trying to expand the conversation and be like, no, there's a different, there's a, a third or fourth definition of what that, those words degraded and uh, uh, contested environment means. And we need to explore that because that is a, especially in, in the times now, this is something that we need to be prepared for and we need to get those muscle reps in. We need to get the practice. Our team 
our, our, our mission defense team needs to understand the importance of what they do and the morale that came out of our flight because of your support was tremendous. And it set the tone as far as a lot of stuff going on, as far as the, uh, um, you know, the uh, uh, agile combat support element and all the things going on in the comms project, very, very proud of what Nate's doing. And um, I think that was part of that. I'm not kidding. I can trace it to you being okay and open to different ideas and different ways to not necessarily prove what everybody else is doing, which is, you know, considered quote unquote right, but trying to get it right in this dynamic environment. Yeah, you know, and I think that uh, we need people to think that way. You know, so um, Chief Staff of the Air Force just declared this the year of integrated base defense. You know, when I came back from the AFA conference, sitting around the table with the squadron commanders and it just hit me. And I actually fell back on some of the exercises that you all did, what we call phase three exercises from the comm squadron. Mm -hmm. And it just occurred to me, you know what? Integrated base defense isn't just defenders out there defending the brick and mortar that we have. It's not just the gates. It actually is ones and zeros that we drash up anywhere we might need to get to a deeper layer of defense on the installation somewhere. It might be some of the types of contracts that we go and leverage at the right time to create a different effect. Um, that goes to base defense. You know, I look at the medics, I look at all the AFSCs that we have in the air base wing, and it could mean so much more. And so the hardest thing, what I've found is it's not getting people to think creatively about that because th people are thinking about this already. It's sometimes getting them to put the energy into taking the risk and being okay <laughs> with, uh, it didn't quite go as how I expected, um, or it got a little messy over here, um, or um, I just, uh, I don't know if I want to tag my name onto something that just kind of blows up in my face a little bit later. Do I really want to answer to that? And I think that once you make it safe for people to lead, you know, in an environment like that, where taking risk is okay, um, I, you know, I think that you, you really get you provoke a lot of creativity and a lot of um, a lot of imagination out of people, and that's really the toughest thing to to cultivate and to just naturally find in leaders. Um, it seems a little strange to use words like imagination and creativity and innovation when you start talking about what you value in leaders, but that's something that you just can't manufacturer. I don't know if you can teach it. You can probably coach it. Um, but when you come across folks like that, man, just get out of their way. Give them a little bit of space to see what they can do. And then, and then, you know, part and parcel, marry them up to some other folks and then see how much bigger you can get with that. So that, I mean, that's the most interesting thing about working with offbeat thinkers, I think. That's awesome. No, it, it's a, uh, when you start to see the sparks and then the idea about getting out of the way, but also it's the idea of, and this is, you know, um, uh, you and I can remember we had the, the, the bright ideas, the lieutenants and CGOs, we could conquer the world. If only somebody would just listen to our drolls that was going on the Oak club. If someone recorded all of our conversations, we would have solved world hunger and all that shit. But like <laughs> the, the idea of, 
that that raw energy, that raw positive energy, I'll say it like that, just needs a little bit of shaping. And so the idea to recognize and provide opportunities, people be like, hey, so let me pair you up with certain people. Let me get you with this person and that person and then kind of nest them underneath, not necessarily structure, but like somebody who can help. And I found this is one of the skill sets that I have is like, I'll find certain energies out there and be like, well, I'm good. At, I'm a really good translator. So let me, let me understand what you're trying to say. And they'll talk about the problem, talk about a solution. I'm like, all right, cool. So I think I can do a really good job of selling it. Let me help shape you that. And we combine forces and that, that kind of, uh, um, you know, multiplicity factor just helps, helps everybody win. It's a thing of like, I'm not trying to, um, if I firmly believe in the idea, then I think it's going to make sense. You're, you just earned another champion for you. And you have someone, you know, I was fortunate enough uh, as a squadron commander to, to champion a lot of good ideas. Uh, a lot of things that people were maybe not as comfortable of sharing out loud or didn't know how to articulate them. But I found the right people and I wanted to connect them with like-minded people. You know, when we we're talking about like doing uh, um, connected apps or trying to do mentoring or whatever it is, there's, there's people on the base that I knew and I, and I try to use my powers for good. And I was like, no, I know some, I know a guy, I know a girl, I know I happened to walk down the long, did you know that we, I called, uh, the hallway between me and you, uh, uh, the long mile. <laughs> no, I did not. So, so, okay. So for the listeners, um, uh, if you happen to become the 673rd uh, comm squad commander, guess what? Your office is directly down the, the one hallway to the wing commander. And so when you get the phone call from the exec or anybody in the front office, like, hey, the winger bonds will talk to you. Okay. So you obviously you stop what you're doing. You start walking down the hallway. Whenever my, uh, uh, my uh, teammates would see me, walking down the hallway, I may or may not have had a certain like energy about me. They're like, you okay, sir? I'm like, I don't know. I'll find out from a commander when I walk back down this hallway. I'd, <laughs> I'd, have, my, I'd have my meeting with you. People would actually, because you, you're on the other side of the hallway, people would, would hear, we would yell, dead commander walking, because no one would know. <laughs> no one would know if I'm going to get fired. I'll go down. I never got fired. I would have my conversation, walk back, and they're like, how to go, sir? I'm like, still the commander. Still got my badge. <laughs> and it was a, it was a good, it was a good story of where everybody, I think anybody, people were relieved that I was not fired. So, but the- no, I think as a general rule, um, if I'm asking you to come and visit with me, you're on friendly turf. Now, if I drop in on you, well, that's a little different. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> all, all fair. Oh my God. I didn't think about that, but that is very, very, that is very, very fair. There was uh, luckily that didn't happen to me because I didn't screw it up that much. But uh, um, yeah, there was a lot of times where like, no, the winger wants to talk to you. And we're like, and there's, I don't care who you are, whatever position you're in, whenever the, the phone call and it's, it's a certain exec or a certain number and it's like, oh, the winger man wants to talk to you. Be like, oh, okay, here we go. And so, um, <laughs> but no, it was, it was definitely a, a uh, whatever you want to call it. I don't know how many feet was between your office and mine. I took it as an opportunity because I, uh, um, I don't, I don't, I haven't shared this story, uh, before, but I remember, um, where I went into your office and we were talking about something and you said, how's everything going? And I was like, okay. And you go, what do you mean? Okay. And I was like, no, I'm just, I'm just good. But anyways, what do you want to talk about, man? And then you actually, I can't remember what, what business we had to talk about, but you actually stopped and you're like, no, no, no. I don't want to talk about work. How are you doing? Something's off with you. And you recognized something was off with me. And I said, 
So ma'am, here's the stuff that I'm going through. Something is, I, I, I am, I'm having difficulties with this. I told you that I actually had to go talk to the chaplain and you're like, whoa, 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 hold on. The, the conversation elevated itself. I remember the exec or, or Joy or, or somebody came and Natalie came in there. You're like, hey, ma'am, you're like, nope, nope. You need to, whatever that is, move it to the right because I need to talk right now. You close the door and you legitimately spent time with me. And I remember that was a very, very difficult conversation for me, but it was, it was worth it because I needed to make sure that you knew where my mind was and how I was doing. And I really, really appreciated you recognizing the fact that something was off with me and it was we talk about that balance of like we 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 are focused on mission all the time but like we don't have the people to help lead those kind of things it doesn't matter and so um i do i do want to thank you for that time that you recognized i don't know if you remember that story but uh, i remember it so i do remember it um and i remember thinking also that uh um, you know, Natalie Hardy, my former exec, man, she was always whipping me to stay on schedule for things. But there's, it, if you're not careful during the day, you can lose yourself in that schedule. You can lose yourself in a checklist, lose yourself in the next meeting, just lose yourself in what it is that everybody expects you to be. Um, and I think that the one thing that I think I'm pretty good at doing is hanging on to that piece of me that's just, that has a lot of empathy for other souls that are walking around, um, working with me, working for me, working next to me, I'm working for them, however, uh, however it shakes out. Um, it never feels good. It never feels right to me to see something that doesn't look right, doesn't feel right. And then to tell myself I'm too important and too busy to stop all action and to make time for that. I think that um, once I get to that point, it's probably time to hang it up, but there's nothing more important than the person that you're talking to, that the person that's right in front of you. Um, really, um, at any given point, meetings can wait. Um, a lot of the decisions that people tell you, you gotta make during the day, this is hot, this is a sign or die, that stuff can wait. But a person in crisis or someone who's not having a good day, that doesn't always wait. You can't reschedule that. Yeah. So I was, yeah. I was definitely I was definitely in that point where I was not sure. Um, I walked in your office and I was like, I don't really know how I'm going to deal with this because uh, we're supposed to be talking about something. And I, uh, I, I think to, to my detriment, I don't I tell people all the time, I don't my filter is eroded for good and bad. It's just a thing of like my emotions, I tend to wear my sleeves and I'm like, no, this is just kind of how I am. And like the idea of, I say this a lot, Lieutenant Colonel Avila, uh, Coach Gabe Rock, husband Gabe, dad, all those kind of roles are all the same. Like I don't, I don't like separate them because I think I, I, I personally believe I find the energy between all of them and I try and merge them. And it's good and bad. And the idea that like sometimes when those energies kind of flow into each other and I don't know how to deal with it and I need to ask for help, I'm okay with that. And, uh, you know, uh, I soundboard with Gina a lot. I found a lot of uh, um, resources when I was a, when I was a squadron commander, I found a lot of uh, mentorship from you, Colonel Caranta. Like I had all my sources. And so I felt safe to the fact that I didn't have to hide it and bury something and what I was feeling. It was just an idea of like, no, this is, 
and I wasn't trying to bait you. It's just a thing of you asked me how I was doing. I was like, Mer. okay. <laughs> and you're and, and then but you caught it. And you're like, what do you mean? I was like, if you're gonna ask me the question, I'm telling you, I'm like, I'm okay. There's just I don't know what's going on. And then like that was enough prompt for you to like realize that the rest of everything else really needed to take a pause and we needed to get it right. And, and uh, that was something that I will continue to try and emulate in my career of when I communicate with people, I don't, I don't care if they're in uniform, out of uniform, whatever it is. It's like, if I recognize someone needs help, that's way more important. And, and it can't, everything else can wait. Nobody's going to tell you anything. Oh, I, you need to do this or that. Like, no, I didn't. I need to do this. I need to help a fellow person. I need to help a fellow teammate because I'm, I recognize they need help. Whether or not you're qualified, I don't want to say qualified, but like, whether or not you are able to help them, that's different. It's the fact that you're trying. You're trying. You're not going to get it right. You're, you and I are not psychologists. We're not the professional, you know, medical people that understand those kind of things. But like, we care. That's the biggest thing. And I think leaders now are going to learn that that's the kind of element that is, that people are going to respond to, and just becomes exponential in the uh, the ability to lead people. Yep. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So, well, that was good stuff. Okay, okay, here we go. I'm in my emotions, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that was good stuff. So, um, but uh, uh, yeah, the 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 interesting times we live in now, I think, uh, um, are are pushing us to become. Hopefully, even though we're we're being disconnected because of you know the 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 medical things and the, and I'm not going to argue against that. But like, I really hope that people find these times to find the ways to connect with people still. And uh, whether or not that's distant coaching or calling a, a former, former mentor, former boss to be like, hey, just checking in. How's everybody, how's everybody doing? Um, luckily, we have technology to leverage that. Uh, obviously, I can do this, uh, this Zoom uh, uh, podcast and recording because over distance between Maryland and Alaska. But like, uh, um, there's there's good stuff we can find through crisis. And I think uh, uh, following your lead, I found that there's always going to be some silver lining in the cloud that uh, you just got to look for it. And I am very, very confident that all of us can find some of those things. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, it's just really interesting. You know, we talked about this before uh, um, the show really kicked off here about not all crisis created equal. Um, and I think that sometimes you don't see the crisis coming, right? And then all of a sudden it gets a drop on you like an earthquake. And you're in that moment uh, where and really you're standing in a building and you're watching this thing turn into rubber around you. And in your head, everything gets drowned out. And all you hear is just your pulse beating and just the blood rushing through your head. And you're telling yourself, are you kidding me on a Friday morning? No, I, I can't accept this. I'm, I'm not ready for this. No way. And then you have your little bit of a tantrum in your head and you push back at how unfair it is. And then, you know, you enjoy that for a few seconds. And then you just take that deep breath and, okay, and here we are, right in the middle of crisis. And the first thing you got to think about is everyone else. You know, what do people need right now? They need someone to reassure them that they're safe that it's okay, that we got this, that there's no reason to go off the reservation and panic. So this is gonna be okay. You know, so that's one type of crisis. And, you know, for that, 
kind of had the sense for that, that that might go for about seven to 10 days as we kind of shook it off. And thank goodness we didn't have any catastrophic failures. Nobody got hurt. Um, so that was a little easy to, to walk away from. Um, COVID though, man. Oh, uh, we're living. I'm it. not going to say, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, this is new normal all of a sudden. I'm not going to say it got the drop on us because we we watched this thing from afar. We watched it from where we sat in the U.S. watching what was going on in China. And a slow start. I remember reading about this around January, thinking, "What is going on mm-hmm. over there? What is what is coronavirus? I don't know what that is." And then I thought, "Well, in a few weeks, it'll it'll blow off. It'll abate." And then in a few weeks, it didn't. It seemed to jump, jump from China to other places. And then I remember at the beginning of February thinking, oh, my God, this is going to be a thing. Because if this is already jumping over to Europe, it's only a matter of time before it hits us. And yeah, so I remember that one. Um, It was a a slow run up, but all, all the signs, all the signals were out there. Just matters what you do to train your eyes on it. And, um, you know, coming back here, back to J-Bear, I was TDY, and I started to read up on this thing, didn't have anything else to do on a plane for six hours, but read. Um, Came back and just, you know, let's what if it, let's do a few tabletop exercises, humor me on this. Let's just see what this might look like if this is a thing, if this is really the P word, if this is pandemic, what, what could this look like for us here? Um, I don't have anything going on right now. We can gee whiz this thing for a week or two. Um, and then we watched it hit the West Coast. And then it started to creep up the West Coast. Oh, and I'm thinking, oh, you know, oh, yeah. Oh, I'm like, you know what's after the West Coast? It's the Alaska Coast. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, I just told the team, hey, uh, humor me on this. Uh, let's just get together and let's talk about what if we had to do mass quarantine on base? What if we had to do mass isolation? What if we had to shut down all the gates and I couldn't let people off? How would we sustain? And I remember, um, God love them, um, our mission partners were the first ones that jumped out of the TTXs. They're like, yeah, we don't have time for this what if. And, um, okay. and then the, uh, yeah, well, the, uh, the, the commanders in the airbase wing, well, y'all are just held prisoner, right? So you got nothing to do but think about it because it said so. <laughs> um, and we just kind of stepped through it and we just were on this journey of learning about this thing. Um, we busted out the, uh, the plan that we had on the shelf because um, medical group has a very good plan. Um, we got our language right. We kept mixing up the terms. Um, isolation and quarantine somebody threw in sequestration i don't know what that means and you know what so we sorted yeah we sorted all that out you know doctors are speaking doctor like and you know the rest of us are speaking not doctor like and confusing ourselves so we sorted out the language and then um we've just been lucky here at this base we've been on average 72 hours ahead of the next directive the next impact, the next crisis, the next impetus to something. And so, yeah, and so, you know, better to be lucky than smart. And it's just uh, when it when it started to, to creep its way up to Alaska, you know, we'd already started to think through the health protection conditions and the triggers. And um, I think 
no kidding, three days before I put the base in HPCon Charlie, um, we had just solidified the um, the checklist for what that would look like on a Friday afternoon. And then on Sunday, I recalled the CAD and we went into Charlie that fast. Um, but I, I want to say, at least from where I sat, it was a graceful transition, at least for the airbase wing, because, you know, we didn't have anything to do over the last 45 days, but just stare at this and, and more game mm-hmm. it out. Um, it might have been a little strenuous for some of our other mission partners getting there, but, you know, um, I think on whole, the bases in Alaska, you know, we're a little ahead of um, where some of the other bases might have found themselves because we're the last frontier. We're getting it last. That's right. Which That's means right. we're getting everybody's lessons learned first. So we did have the luxury of being able to to spot watch our buddies out there and, and kind of take notes and make ready and, and prep for it. And I mean, honestly, I think that that's why, you know, I'm not saying that the state of Alaska um, or the base is totally COVID free. Uh, we're not. Sure, we're going to be sure. impacted by that. But um, I think that what it could have looked like had we not prepared um, would have been really, really remarkable um and where we're at today it's it's manageable you know it's it's not scary um as long as we we stick with it but you know it's funny that if i think that if i would have leaned into the whole covid thing and said oh i'll wait for it when it becomes a thing then we'll start doing exercises and start stepping through it um because I, you know, I've got the badge. I got the Girl Scout badge here for crisis management. I did that one thing. I did the earthquake. Good to go. Um, you know, if I read the last chapter of the earthquake in crisis management and told myself that I've already read the last chapter for crisis management, I know what that's going to look like for COVID. Uh, I would have screwed it all up and gotten it wrong. This is a different type of crisis. This one takes stamina. <laughs> to be able to right, right. recharge, reset yourself. And, a lot of endurance yeah. right now. Yeah, you know, and you got to keep people chill and keep them on the same page and, and march them through this. Um, yeah, this crisis is a little different from the earthquake, a little different from the wildfires, a little different from even the uh, the, the bureaucratic um, crises, you know, the housing review um, and some other things. It's been a busy two years. I'll tell you what, I'm waiting for like the oceans to start boiling. I'm waiting for locusts. <laughs> dragons. What you need, what, what you're saying is dragons. You're waiting for dragons to show up. You're waiting for Thanos to show up, like to do the snapping. And all of a sudden, oh, oh half Jaber's dead. Oh my God, what's happening now? Yeah, well, no, I'll tell you what, I'm already convinced we've seen dragons up in this part too. So we're past dragons probably, even. So. Probably, <laughs> probably in Alaska, I'm not going to put it past that we have some weird, weird ass animals. There is, uh, Gene and I, we, we, we joke about the idea of, so living in Maryland, Maryland, there's too many damn people. I swear, <laughs> like, I swear, <laughs> like there's too many people here. We just like space. And so, or we like people who respect space. Hawaii people, in my opinion, are going to be cool about that because I'm from Hawaii and that's what it is. And then Alaska people are like, no, 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 I'm just going to, I'm going to go respect my 500 acres of whatever I own and I'm going to be cool and I'm just going to be cool about here. And so, um, the, we did not realize how much we, we missed 
the nature granted uh COVID-19 is not the nature we want to miss but like <laughs> when, when you live in Hawaii and Alaska you actually miss nature a lot or, and then you move to Maryland you miss nature a lot but the idea of having to deal with the crises as far as everything going on and having to constantly trying to I want to say put on a uh the the face no it is it's not it's not putting on a face it is a leading with confidence leading with the idea of here's what we're going to do here's the data that we're looking at and here's the decision we we want to make and how we want to take care of our community here based on our local aspects and uh um uh you know data points all of us are dealing with different things and the as long as we're actually thinking about no this is actually what we want to care about and we we have the same thing here where we have staggered kind of uh um, work schedules mission essential who's going to go in who's going to not and i'm very particular about like no you're you're good i want you to make sure that you are staying home staying safe and then also the idea of oh so you have a um you you have uh, school-aged children and you have to deal with uh, remote or distance learning and making sure that you have that. There, there are so many elements of trying to balance of it. And as a wing commander, I can't imagine all of the balance of how you're going to try and get after the different just stimulus and the things that come up, come into your plate. Like, did you think about that? Did you think about these people who only like do these schools from these places and like no i didn't think about those things i just want to make sure they're okay and to become part of that they they become part of the 673 mission partners that you need to consider but you're not going to throw them away because they're they're part of the human fabric they're part of the people that we actually care about and it's important to make sure they're accounted for and so i think the the true leaders end up understanding the value and understanding how those people those people that was really weird our people end up becoming part of the fabric that we want to consider and make sure that we have to make the decisions based on the holistic picture there's an idea of making sure we all cooperate to graduate and the the idea of how we can be okay to emerge from these crises is very, very important. Yeah, you know, and I think the the key thing here, right, is I think the most effective leaders that I've seen over the years are really, truly, they're connectors. So they can connect themselves to people and be able to relate. That's That's all goodness. But as a leader, you don't have to be the end-all, be-all and have all the answers and all the solutions and be the one person that's going to fix it for everybody. That's right. You just, you can't, um, I can't do it. It's just, it's an unrealistic expectation um, of yourself. And then there are people out there in our community who expect you to be that end-all, be-all for them. But taking the time to at least understanding, you know, what folks are going through, you might not be the person to be able to help out, but you might be the person who can connect them to someone who will be able to do it, who can do it, who wants to do it. And I think that that's probably the more important aspect of leading from out front 
is that you get to be a sensor for these things and you've got access to other people, you've got access to other resources that you can you can really make magic happen for folks. Yeah. I'm telling you. I see your son in the background. <laughs> the, the idea, the idea of I'm not it brings it back to the quote. You don't have to be right. You just have to get it right. This is the whole thing. Leaders who understand that, where they know that they can't shoulder the the responsibility themselves. They can't do it. Success equates to multiple people. And the, the sooner than later that people understand that, that's where that's where we're cooking with we're cooking with grease over here. There's things that are happening that end up becoming much faster and much better where um, we can get to a uh, uh, more efficient and, and, and a better place where everybody involved because you're not involved in trying to be the person to try to grab the shine, trying to grab the, the idea of the credit or anything like that. It's, there's, a, there's a lot of times I, I started talking to, to, to my, my team about like, hey, so if you come up with a solution and nobody, nobody gives a shit about the credit, then that's probably the right solution. And people were like, oh, what do you mean? And I'm like, I'm just saying, if you don't care who or get, who gets a credit or not, that probably, me- and it works, that's probably the right solution. And there's a lot of people who don't like that because that's an ego thing because people want to be like, no, I, I knew what was right and I knew what was going on. Dude, come on, man. That's, that's not important. The important thing is getting it right, not being right. Yeah, no doubt. Exactly. That's right. That's Right. So, all right, ma'am. So uh, I, I know uh, your time is valuable and I appreciate you uh, sharing the time with uh, me and my audience. And uh, I know, I'm, I'm spoiler, you and I are going to talk after I hit, stop hitting record. But uh, um, thank you for taking your time with me. I think this conversation was, especially in, in the times that we're going through right now, as far as uh, um, dealing with the interesting COVID-19 and all the crisis things and leaders who need to understand a different version of what it means to be a a true leader and leaders are not impenetrable kind of people who don't understand how or don't show any vulnerabilities and don't show anything that like no i I actually don't make mistakes like no everybody mistakes is a strong word there's there's things that we learn along the way and you carved a path for me to learn along the way um, you helped me figure out myself uh, uh, the things that I need to make be a better leader. And I think however I can be a positive influence through my, my audience and the people that uh, listen to this podcast, there's, there's some positive things going along. So I really appreciate you taking the time to spend, to share stories with me. Thank you. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. I think that, um, I think what you're doing here with your, this idea of elevating people up to the next level is really important. I think that the fact that you're not being paid to do it or being told to do it is also um, definitely not getting paid, but I'm not mad. Somebody wants to sponsor me. But I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no sponsorship or endorsements, but um, I don't know. I think that uh, my, I guess my last thought or instinct on leadership is, um, you know, the greatest legacy that you leave is the, the people that you have had an impact on and what they do going forward after their association with you is done. And I just, 
you know, when people ask me what the most important um, aspect of being a leader is, it really truly is just lifting people up and helping them to get to whatever's next for them, what's next, and just and just feeding that drive and that motivation for folks. I think that there's nothing more satisfying as a leader than watching people just step away from whatever team that they might have been a part of with you and go on to do great things and then to watch them bring people along on that journey with them. That's amazing. So, but thanks for having me on. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. I'm gonna, I'm having a Look moment. That's beside that's beside <laughs> the point. So, uh, constant elevation podcast. Thank you for all tuning in, and we will uh, catch up catch up with all of you later. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to Constant Elevation. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. Visit our site at constantelevation.co. Find and follow us on Facebook at constantelevation.co, and like and follow me on Instagram at, at @gaybrock01. As always, don't wait for the future. Define the future.